0: Good morning, friends. Good morning. To be biblical, greetings, friends, <laughs> from the Apostle John himself. What a what a wonderful little letter we just read um, from the Apostle John. Um, and I, I am anxious to share with you what the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart regarding um, this short letter, short but powerful letter. I want to I begin by asking you, what are you doing here? Um, why are you here? I mean, seriously, uh, we have so many problems as a church. I mean, and we're not alone in this. Every church has problems, but we, we, we have our problems, right? We have... Uh, Families that are in trouble financially, maritally. Uh, We have rebellious teenagers. We have uh, parents who are having a hard time adjusting to um, additions to their family, their children. We have families that are having a hard time adjusting to having their children leave the house. Uh, We have problems. We've got financial problems within our families of this church we have health problems so every time we come here we look at each other we're reminded of problems that this church contains and so why do we continue showing up why do we uh, continue preparing worship services for you to participate in why are you here if this is true about us, that we have so many problems. Um, can't we just stay home? I mean, f- for those of us who, who are, are swallowing this bait that I'm offering you, um, uh, <laughs> COVID was a wonderful thing, wasn't it? You got to stay home from church, and it was legitimate. You could watch some guy you don't know on your TV and... Say you were at church um, and didn't have to experience all the problems of the church. I mean, we can watch sports, news, maybe take in an online sermon and just avoid all this. Uh, Do we really need organized Christianity with all the accompanying problems that it has? Well, there are two answers to these questions that I would like to share with you the first answer to the question, why do we go to all the trouble of being part of a local church? The answer is for God, right? Not, not because he needs us, but because we need him, and this is where he yes. is in a unique way. So we come here to experience God. That's the first reason, we need him. And this is where he shows up. We go to all the trouble of being regularly involved with people who have so many problems because God shows up here. It's here that God dispenses his grace to his people. It is here on Sunday mornings where the Holy Spirit works in ways that he does not work anywhere else from here. Listen to this verse if you don't agree with what I'm saying, that... That God works here unlike anywhere else in your life. Listen to this Psalm 87 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Well, what were the gates of Zion? David in the Psalms repeatedly referred to the gates of Zion. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his gates with praise. And entering the gates of Zion was simply a reference to the corporate worship of Israel. That's what the gates of Zion referred to. What were the dwelling places of Israel? The individual homes of Israelites. The Holy Spirit Tells us in Psalm 87, verse 2, that the Lord prefers the gathering of his people than the individual experiences of believers. This is very important for you to hear. Why does God prefer the gates of Zion over the dwelling places of Jacob? Why does God prefer corporate worship? This of his gathered church to the private worship of us individually? There are a few reasons. One is because God is more glorified in our corporate gathering than he is in our private worship. The the mighty Columbia River isn't so mighty in the headwaters, is it? No, it's, it's trickles here and there. Tributaries filling the basin and then by the time we get down to the lower valley, it's a mighty Columbia. The confluence of all the tributaries is what makes the Columbia mighty. It's the confluence of our worship and praise on Sunday morning is what makes our praise glorious, more glorious to God than when I sit at home with my Bible open, worshiping and praising him. The Lord prefers the gates of Zion over the tents of Jacob. And so, one of the reasons we ask you and remind you week after week to join us in full worship is because this gathering brings him the most glory. You can sing for all your worth in your private worship, but when we get here, it's us praising God together, which is, according to Scripture, more glorious. It's also here where God's people work out their salvation for the good of others, which brings him more glory and joy. You remember Philippians 2.12, Paul wrote to work out your salvation. And who was he telling that to? Individuals? No. You was plural. All right. Work out your salvation is the plural you in Philippians 2. In other words, Work out your salvation in the context of the church. All right? You you need to worship at home. You need to grow in your faith at home and in your private life, your thought life. But the the command of Philippians 2.12 to work out your salvation is given in the context of the local church. Here is where we work out our salvation. Here is where we exercise the gifts. Here is where we love one another. It's hard to do the one another's of the New Testament if you never go to church. It's impossible in fact. So the first answer to why we come to church is because God meets us here in a unique and edifying way that you can't experience at home. The second possible answer to the question why come to church could be, well, for self. I come for me, which is fine if you think of it in in terms of uh, the Christian hedonist concept that John Piper writes of in his book Desiring God. But I'm talking about the the selfish, selfish reason. Um, The first answer about the pursuit of God and the the good of others. Um, The second answer is about self. So the motivation of self and church attendance isn't as uncommon as I'm making it sound. Uh, the focus on self is about your own efforts to impress God or to impress people. Why am I here to, to get brownie points from God and to impress my, my fellow believers? This, this is what I'm talking about. The second answer uh, could be. Impressing God is about our efforts to gain his merit, Uh, To win his favor. Look, God, I've been in church three straight weeks. Um, To impress people is about showing up to impress the wife, the the kids, the pastor, the elders, etc. Or or to selfishly try to gain authority, status, prestige, or to promote your business. All for personal benefit. It's about self. So either you're here for God and receiving from him or you're here for self. Today, we're gonna see from 3 John that there are two ways to view church. One is for God and the joy of his people, and the other is for self, the exaltation of self. And so the way you choose will either help or hinder the cause of Christ. Now, ultimately, there is nothing that can interrupt the cause of Christ because he's sovereign, right? But I I, I say it um, for our purposes this morning in how we experience Christian life. We can either help or hinder the cause of Christ by the path we choose for attending. So you just heard Third John read, um, and if you were paying attention, we heard of three individuals. If I were to give you a test, could you repeat them without looking? The three individuals that are listed here, Gaius, right, Diotrephes and Demetrius. And I practice saying that without looking at my notes, so you would believe me. (laughs) I get it. Um, But these three individuals illustrate two paths. Evidently, Gaius and Demetrius chose the path of helping the cause of Christ, and Diotrephes chose the path of hindering the cause of Christ. Gaius and, and, and Demetrius were about uh, attending and, and pursuing God and the joy of his people. Diotrophy was about the pursuit of self. That was his view of church. So let's look at these um, two ways, these two paths that we might choose for church attendance. And the first of helping the cause of Christ, which was demonstrated by Gaius and Demetrius. What we read here in verse one to the elder, or the elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth is not an uncommon greeting in New Testament times and even in New Testament script. Um, It was typical in John's day. Um, But what stands out to us in this greeting is the idea of truth so intimately connected to love, whom I love in truth. It's not, he's not saying, I, I truly love you, Gaius. He's saying, I love you in truth. It's, um, it's based on truth that I love you. And you'll, you'll learn exactly what that means here before the end of the day. But what I want you to see here is um, John, this is how John thought. He, he always connected truth to love and love to truth. Um. They were not separate in his mind. We, we learned this just last week in our study of 2 John. John would say, and he did say, that one cannot genuinely love others apart from truth, and truth always includes love. Those two things cannot be separated in the Christian life. If they are separated, that one or the other or both are not true in your life. Remember, in 2 John, we discovered that the truth-saturated life is, is one that will always result in sacrificial love. So if your life is saturated with biblical truth, then the automatic result will be sacrificial love towards fellow believers. Truth and love described Gaius here in our text John saw both of these and believed that both are critical in working for the cause of Christ. Do you want to work for the cause of Christ? We'd all say, sure. Then these two things ought to be evident, truth and love. Both of these qualities are critical to authentic Christianity. In fact, you can't be a growing Christian without embracing the truth and practicing love. You can't separate them. So I want you to look at verse 2. And notice John's priorities, not just for Gaius, but the Holy Spirit's priorities for you and me. Beloved, referencing Gaius, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. John was more concerned with Gaius's soul than his health. So... What is more concerning to you? How you feel today, or how healthy is your soul? Are you in step with Christ? Or are you on the treadmill, literally, and concerned about that, those steps? I mean, I think we ought to take care of our bodies, but I think John would say taking care of your soul is much more important. So in verse 4, John wrote that it brought him great joy to hear that his own children, speaking of Gaius, were walking in the truth. Evidently, John had led Gaius to the Lord, and he was overjoyed to hear these reports coming back to him from the missionaries that the bishop John had sent out, hearing that Gaius was killing it. He was committed to the truth, and his life was full of love. So Gaius lived... In a different city, John, being the bishop of that geographical reason, would send out missionaries and encouragers to the churches in surrounding towns and cities for their instruction, for their encouragement. John couldn't cover everything himself, so he sent out his ambassadors, his emissaries, and these missionaries would bring back reports to John about the spiritual health of these local churches, about the pastors, and Gaius was one of them. Evidently, they had brought back really good reports about Gaius. And so we can see that there are two basic ways, based on what these reports that came back to John, there are two basic ways by which we can help the cause of Christ. The first, of course, is by love, with love or pursuing love. That's the first. John understood the integral importance of truth to the cause of Christ, and so did Gaius. Without truth, there there is no gospel. Would you agree with that? If, If... We're not sure what the truth is. Is there there really a a way to know that our sins are forgiven? No. So without truth, there's no love either. Without the truth, the fundamentals of our faith are meaningless, aren't they? This is why Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, said, If Christ is not raised, this is the truth we say, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. If he's not raised, we are to be pitied more than any. Why? Why? Because it's not true. Everything we say is not true if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And by the way, we can apply that to many central doctrines of the faith. The deity of Christ, for example. If we say the truth of Christ's identity is that he is God and he's not, what are we talking about? Truth is critical to what we say we believe. It's, think of pretty much any central truth. If it isn't true, it disrupts our entire faith. Evangelism, for example, makes no sense without the truth. Does it? Spiritual growth is impossible without the truth. Why? Because we say the truth is that the Holy Spirit converts the heart and then takes up residence in us and begins the sanctifying process, which we call spiritual growth. That is impossible if the truth of the Holy Spirit's presence isn't true. <laughs> and so we, we go through the, the realities of our faith, like the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If He isn't Lord, then what are we doing here? Uh, if the glory of God is unknowable, what, what are we doing here? Well, let's go. Let's, I mean, let's go fishing. Well, whatever you want to do on Sundays. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He, He is the source of truth. He's the object of truth. He's the application of truth. And in his gospel, the apostle John said that Jesus came from heaven full of grace and truth. So truth is what characterized John's relationship with all his disciples, including Gaius. And truth is what filled the reports that that John received about Gaius. And so Gaius had embraced and and valued and taught and lived the truth that John had taught him. Gaius helped the cause of Christ by being committed first and foremost to truth. It's, Not your truth or my truth, it's the truth or no truth. At Jesus' trial, what an ironic setting. At Jesus' trial, Pilate says, what is truth? Remember that? Jesus could have said, you mean who is truth? The truth was standing right in front of him. You've heard it said, this is the gospel truth, and then... You say something about the stock market. This is the gospel truth, and you say something about academics. You remember, you've heard that? Well, here's the gospel truth. God is holy and perfect, man is not, and because of this we're separated from him and stand condemned before his righteous judgment, but because of God's love and mercy... Because of his love and mercy, he came to earth as one of us to live a sinless life so that he could die a sacrificial and substitutionary substitutionary death on our behalf for those who would put their trust in him alone. If we turn from our agenda and embrace his agenda, embrace him, his death covers the judgment of eternal death due to us, and his resurrected life is the promise of our future. That's the gospel truth. Everything else is just a... A byword. So to experience the amazing grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must turn from our sin and embrace this Savior named Jesus and walk according to the truth that he is in fact the Lord of heaven and earth. You can't say he is my Lord and Savior if he's not your Lord. So, helping the cause of Christ begins with truth, and then we see here in the text that it moves to love. We we help the cause of Christ with love, which is the application of truth, by the way. Gaius helped the cause of Christ by his love. Those who help the cause of Christ are those who love in, in every situation. In verse five, the apostle John, it says here, commended Gaius because of his faithful service to other Christians. Look at verse five. Beloved, it's a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. He's being commended by the apostle John for loving the brothers. So let's look at at who Gaius loved. It says that he loves strangers, verse five. How good are you at loving strangers? He loved them because they were faithful Christians serving the cause of Christ. Even though Gaius didn't personally know these believers, he loved them. Why? Because they were interested in his savior. Our love for other believers should be based on the fact that they embrace Jesus. Not that they enjoy the same sports teams that we do, or that they have kids the same age as our kids, Our deepest connection with one another, Christian brothers and sisters, must be a spiritual one. We can truly love those in the family of God with whom we have nothing in common other than our bond in Christ. These Christians, strange as they are, may be ethnically different. They may come from different geographical locations they may have different backgrounds, different, be of a different generation. You know what? Let me, let me say something to you people who are in different generations. You can actually enjoy each other. As weird as that sounds. You can enjoy old people. And old people, for the most part, can enjoy younger people. <laughs> they can watch them run. <laughs> yes, Things like that. Friends, we can have all sorts of differences, but if we are bound together in Christ, we can actually love each other as, as love is defined by God. You remember what Jesus said in John 13, right in the upper room, in his command to love just as I loved you? He goes, all will know that you're my disciples if you do this, if you love one another. So loving each other not only brings glory to God, but it expands, helps the cause of Christ. It's an evangelistic tool. When I love you as a brother or sister in Christ. Why did Gaius love? Look at verse 7. We just saw who he loved. He loved strangers. So we can do that. Why did Gaius love? Look at verse 7. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Why did he love them? Because they were up to evangelism. They were up to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, and so Gaius loved them. That's why they had left their homes for the purpose of spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 8. Look at this verse, I want to make an application from the principle that's clearly stated here. Therefore, you might want to circle the the number eight here or underline the entire verse. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, who? Strangers that are spreading the gospel. And they don't have to be strangers, they can be people sitting in this room that you know and love already. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, you can read right past that sentence and not have it impact you the way the Holy Spirit wants it to impact you. So I want you to listen here. We need to support those who work for the cause of Christ. We need to support those who work for the cause of Christ. You may lack the courage or the opportunity because of job, finances, family, or other, or maybe even the ability to go overseas for the cause of Christ. But but those who support those who do go, what does John call them? Fellow workers. Fellow workers. (laughs) What does this mean? Friends, listen to this amazing statement. You may not be able to go overseas to personally take the gospel to the unsaved in Mexico or Indonesia or Togo or Othello, but you can be a fellow worker with those who do. A fellow worker. How is that? By supporting them, being a fellow worker means that you have an equal share in the work and in the reward. That's what a fellow worker is. So we here aren't in Indonesia, we're not in Mexico with the missionaries that we support that are there, but guess what? If you're participating with us and supporting them, you are a fellow worker with those missionaries that we support. And you receive the benefits of their work. You get the rewards with them. So, is that a motivation to support these folks that we love? It certainly is. Question is, are you doing it? By your support, you can share in the work of Dwight and Sarah, Andy and Kelly, Josh and Sarah, all of our missionaries and all of our affiliates, in fact, in this town. By your support, you can be counted as part of the team that's taking the gospel to those who need it. You can be just as valuable according to the what the word means, fellow workers, just as valuable as those on the front lines. Would they be there without you? So how did Gaius love, thirdly? What does support look like? How do we do this? How can we support these? Look at verses 6 through 8. These, these people came and testified to the Apostle John, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So, let's break this down. In Gaius's case, it was taking missionaries into his home and offering them food and housing, then walking them to the next town so they continue their ministry there. Full support. Our Sun Valley Church missionaries are some of those strangers, if you will. Some of those missionaries we have are stranger than others, but they are strangers according to the text. Um, and they are taking the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the regions that we have sent them to, regions that we think are critical to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with. And we can join them in the cause of Christ. How? By supporting them just how Gaius did. We can be fellow workers. John encouraged Gaius to support these missionaries by showing them hospitality. Since we are in the place, we aren't in the place where our missionaries are, we can support them in the following ways. Prayer. Are you praying for our missionaries? Do you have one of their prayer cards on your refrigerator? Are you praying for our missionaries? Are you on their email letter list? Prayer list. We can give faithfully and sacrificially to them and to Sun Valley Church so that we can give more and more to their work and of course as a church we desire to increase our support for all of our missionaries. You can communicate with our missionaries by sending them emails, cards and gifts, etc. We can actually in this day of global communication communicate with people that are in different places. When I was growing up I remember my parents were missionaries in South America. We got one ham radio phone call every six months with grandpa and grandma. And my parents and us didn't see our in-laws and relatives and cousins and aunts and uncles for four years. Every four years we got to see them. Now, you can see them every four minutes. I mean, what's the sacrifice, sacrifice of missionary life when it comes to family bonds if you can talk to them just like they're here? This thing FaceTime. My son is living in Argentina. I FaceTimed him, or he FaceTimed me last night. And we talked for an hour. Like he was in the same room. That's unheard of. Well, actually, it is heard of. I just told you about it. <laughs> so, there you go. I want to I broaden this a bit, the principle here, because the principle applies more than just to our foreign missionaries. There's people in this church who are committed to the cause of Christ who are intentionally building relationships with the people outside this church so that they can share the gospel with them. I want you to think about uh, those you love and why you love them. Do you have people in your circle of love that are there solely because of the gospel? Are there people in this valley that you love intentionally for the sake of the gospel? People that don't know Christ yet do you have any people in your life that wouldn't be there except that you are a Christian trying to promote the cause of Christ in their life? Your neighbors, for example, your co-workers, that, that bank clerk. Do you have any of those people that you're praying for, that you're loving, that you're sharing the gospel with? Is the gospel real enough to you to see the importance of having and maintaining loving, intentional relationships with those who need Christ Are you helping the cause of Christ? Friends, we are called to love others for the sake of Christ. We are called to love all types, inside and outside of the church, for the cause and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are we doing it? So how can we love those immediately around us? How do we do it? Well, first of all, you gotta be friendly. You know, friendly. Are you a friendly person? or? Do your neighbors and coworkers and the clerk at the bank think you've been weaned on a dill pickle? (laughs) Which is it? Are you a friendly person? Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's commanded, friends, not just of the saints, but of the aints. Are we pursuing the advancement of the gospel? Then there's the one another's of the New Testament. Last count, about 35 of them. Love one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, be patient with one another, etc. These are all ways that we can help the cause of Christ. This is these things that I've been talking about are what would be falling under the category of Gaius and uh, Demetrius reasons for participating in the body of Christ. Now let's look at the other side, the other path, hurting the cause of Christ. Look at verses nine and 10. "I I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, If I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes. We could have t-shirts made. Don't be a Diotrephes. People, what is that? And then you can have an opportunity to share your faith, all right, or invite them to church. But what we... What we see here is that people, in this case, Diotrephes, can actually hurt the cause of Christ. He liked to put himself first, I just read to you, which means he was a selfish person. And selfishness always hurts the cause of Christ like very few other things. If the focus of your life is you, then it isn't Christ. If the focus is you, then it isn't other people. It's you. That's selfishness. If the focus of your life is serving others and giving others' needs, then that's not selfish. This is why we had Philippians read earlier. Defer to one another. Think for a second how much you serve or how much you give for the cause of Christ. Serve for the cause of Christ, give for the cause of Christ. Does your serving and giving encourage or condemn your conscience? So look at how the selfishness of Diotrephes played out. How do we know that he was selfish? Well, verse 9 says so. He puts himself first. That means he's selfish. Let's look at this. Verse 9, selfish rejection of spiritual authority. This is stunning, really. We're talking about the Apostle John who gave directions to Diotrephes. And Diotrephes rejected the encouragement from the Apostle John. He didn't want to do anything that the Apostle John said, which is shocking. John had given counsel to this church and Diotrephes, who was evidently some kind of leader in the church, selfishly rejected it. He'd given instruction to Gaius and to Diotrephes about supporting these traveling missionaries and Diotrephes wanted to demonstrate his authority in the church and so he rejected the Apostle John, the Bishop John instruction. Well, John's not the pastor of this church. I am, said Diotrephes, and we're not doing that. Really? He wanted to demonstrate his authority above the Apostle John. And so he is more concerned with his kingdom than with God's kingdom. He wanted to be thought of as better or more important than anyone else, including John. So one way to hurt the cause of Christ is to think of yourself and your agenda as more important than Christ and his agenda. And none of us would come out and say that, but look at your life, look at your decisions, which is true. Is your agenda superseding Christ's agenda in any area? The reason God has given authority to spiritual men in local churches is to guard against this type of thing. Being selfish and unwilling to submit to God's ordained leaders causes much harm and causes Christ's name to be shamed. Um, This is one reason why elder leadership is critical to local church government and why Paul teaches it to Timothy and Titus. Elder leadership, elder shepherding in a local church helps avoid fractions and arguments and personal agendas. So we have things that Hinder the cause of Christ is a selfish rejection of spiritual authority, verse 9. Look at verse 10. The next is selfish gossip. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense. That's what gossip is. He's talking wicked nonsense against us. Untrue things. Gossip is always selfish, isn't it? Is there any such thing as unselfish gossip? No. People gossip to make themselves feel better about themselves. Is, gossip is one of the greatest inhibitors of church unity, isn't it? So it destroys local churches. When, when there is disunity in the local church, the cause of Christ suffers in that church and in that community. Because the church begins to disintegrate and the community stands outside and goes, oh, look at those Christians. I mean, They're not called fighting Baptists for nothing. Gossip is deadly. There are ample and clear prohibitions against gossip throughout the Bible, including here. Jesus and the apostles spoke about the danger of it. The reason that God is so concerned with this particular sin of gossip is that it is a cancer to a local church and will kill it if left unchecked. Friends, we cannot allow gossip. In the name of prayer requests or anything, it it can't happen. And if you detect that there's gossip welling up in your heart, you need to stamp it out. If you're worried about someone bringing something up that is in the realm of gossip, you need to say no thank you. Um, Satan loves to come between Christians and he uses gossip to do it. All the time. It's not a new strategy. We just need to be aware of it. The next I want you to see is selfish intimidation. Look at 10b, you, you wanna hinder the cause of Christ? Try some of this on for size, selfish intimidation. Pushing yourself and your opinions and agenda over others. 10 second half of 10, and not content with that, that is gossip, he's not content with gossip, Diotrephes refuses to welcome the brothers and stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So obviously he was some kind of a leader, maybe a pastor, maybe one of the elders, who knows. He was some kind of a leader in this church that Gaius was pastoring. And he was doing this. In in opposition to Bishop John's instructions. This is selfish intimidation. Underlined selfish. He was trying to get his way by intimidating the Christians in his church. You do that, I'll throw you out of the church kind of thing. All so that he'd be viewed as more authoritative than the Apostle John. Or maybe more authoritative than Gaius. Maybe there's a pastoral authority struggle. Who knows? He was trying to get his own way is the point, and he tried to intimidate people into it. We've heard stories of people trying to get their way by suggesting their opinion and saying it's preferable because of the amount they give. Well, you, you guys ought to consider this because I give such and such amount. Or I've been attending this church my whole life. See, my, my, I sit right here and this seat fits me because I've been there for so long. Or who they know. I'm personal friends with one of the elders, so my opinion kind of rules in this small group. Of course, we would never say it like that, but we may think it and practice it. Friends, we hurt the cause of Christ by being selfish, and we help the cause of Christ by embracing truth and practicing love. And so the instruction and warning of verse 11 is particularly important to heed. Look at verse 11. Beloved, do not intimidate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God, which means he doesn't know him. That's what John is saying about diatrophies. If this is your M.O., you don't know God. Imitate who? Good. Good examples. Gaius type examples, Demetrius kind of examples. Imitate good, not evil. Don't be a diatrophies. We have two models to choose from here in this short letter, two paths from which to live our lives. Which one are we gonna which path are we gonna take? Who are we gonna imitate in this church? Right now in the lobby, on the way out to your car or to Sunday seminar, who are we gonna imitate? Friends, and here's, here's the thing that I, I need to conclude with. Uh, whatever path you choose, you're setting an example for someone watching you. So if you, if you choose the path of helping the cause of Christ, then you'll encourage those around you to do the same. If you choose the path of pursuing self in your attendance and hindering the cause of Christ, you're influencing those also who are watching and are close by. Let's pray. Father, we want to take note of this serious and short letter from the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the clear direction it gives us concerning um, the correct path to choose, the correct example to make. Father, I pray Sun Valley Church will be a church that's full of people who aren't pursuing selfish agendas, but pursuing Christ, who are, who are in hot pursuit of love and, and truth. God, help us to be that church who submits to Christ in every area of our lives. Help us to be people who come to church for the the blessing that God grants his people in the corporate setting and, and for the joy of encouraging other believers around us who are here. Father, help us to be a church that brings glory and joy to your heart. And I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.